I'm going to ask you a very deep question to get things started. Does God require perfection? No. Some of you may be wrestling with something right now. You may hear a verse in your head that simply says, be holy because I am holy. And you're justifying that. You just answered no, right? But then you hear a verse that says, be holy for I am holy. Understand context is really key for that verse. And I would encourage you to go back and look at it. But yes, does God require perfection? No. And, and to that, you would say, praise God, right? Praise God. Uh, and here's the thing about Genesis. The thing about Genesis is it's a story of God's providence. And it's a story of God setting in motion the gospel. That's the beginning of the book. The beginning of the book, Genesis, the very first thing, is the setting in motion of God's story of redemption from the fall, Genesis 3. And we read and we see in the first 11 chapters of Genesis this rise and fall of guys who get it right and guys who don't get it right. One of these guys is a very famous guy in the Bible. He's mentioned more than one occasion after Genesis, especially in the book of Hebrews, Romans. Uh, Paul mentions his, his name a bunch, and his name is Abraham. Last week, we had this opportunity to learn who he was. Just a quick little bio, just so that those that weren't here last week, this guy was living, he's 75 years old, is married to a wife named Sarah. They have not had any kids because her womb is barren. That's what the word, that's what the Bible teaches and says, and so he's living in this town of Ur, living in a pagan city, worshiping a pagan moon god. Anybody remember this? Remember what I was talking about last week? And God in that moment sends, well, speaks into him. And the first thing he says to him is, leave your country, take your family and leave your country. And we talked a lot about that last week. And, uh, and that's an encouragement to all of us. That living a life of sin is probably the first thing that God would ask any of us to do. And so as we read through this story, the life of Abram, we catch up to uh, Genesis chapter 20. We get to this place in the story. A lot has happened in uh, Abram's life since the call that's been placed on his life. He moves city, finds Canaan. God confirms to him, hey, this is the city that, or this is the land that you are to inhabit. And so it takes him 20 something years to get there, but he does it. And he finds this place uh, in Cana and he finds a home and some property. And as he is traveling, he comes up on a city and the city is named Gerar. I don't make this stuff up, it's in the Bible, G-E-R-A-R. -R. And this is where we find Abram, Abraham at this point, God has already changed his name and now here he is, Genesis chapter 20. You ready for this? If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, Genesis chapter one, or actually not one, 20, verse one. 20, verse one. I want you to follow along with me. We do have, hopefully, on the screen, the verses, all right? Now, Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of Negev and settled between Kadesh and Sarum, or Shur. Then he lived for a time in Gerar. And Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent men and took Sarah, but God came to Abimelech in a dream of that night and said, behold, you're a dead man. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what God says to him. Um, you're a dead man because of the woman who you have taken for she is married. God delivered the truth of the moment. 
Now Abimelech did not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you kill a nation even though blameless? That's him. He's talking about, I haven't done anything wrong. Did he himself not say she's my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart. This is a pagan king right here, Abimelech, having a conversation with God, okay? Did he himself not say she's my sister? In the integrity of my heart, and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this, and I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I do not, I do not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And this is the first time in scripture that the word prophet is mentioned, FYI. Okay, 20 chapters in, first time you see the word prophet. God declares him a prophet. And he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die. You and all are yours. So Abimelech got up early, like a good man should, get up early. Get up early in the morning, called his servants and told all these things in their presence. And the people were greatly frightened. Because back in those days, if God spoke in a dream, like if you had a dream, it was something that's specific to God. Like God was totally speaking to you. And so this was not uncommon back in the day for guys to have dreams. People have dreams in their, in their, and they would immediately think it was God speaking to them. You can see that in the life of uh, Joseph when he interprets the dream for, um, oh God, for the Pharaoh. You can see that Pharaoh knew that it was a God thing. Anyway, so... There you go, little tidbit there. And so um, what, then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done the, to me things that ought not to be done. I love that, Abimelech calling him out. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and that you would kill me because of my wife. In other words, she was really good looking. That's what he's saying. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Um, but track that family tree. Um, but God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere you go, say to me, he is my brother. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male uh, and female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah, he said, look, I have given you your brother a thousand pieces of silver. I think he should be quote, I've given your brother. A um, thousand pieces of silver. It is your vindication before all who are with you and before everyone you are cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female servants so that they, came, they gave birth to children. Now get this, this is an interesting fact. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay? Now, when studying scripture and you read stories like this, one of the things that really helps me out is to outline a chapter. Now, this is a little tidbit, I'm a little how to study God's word, little side note here, I wanna equip you to outline the chapter. And so I wanna walk you through what my outline is of this chapter, okay? 
And I'll tell you, it's like, what, six bullet points. Abraham finds his way to Gerar and gives his sister to the king. So let's talk about that. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with Abraham giving <laughs> his wife to the king? Anybody want to take a stab? Kayla, you raised your hand. You want to take a stab? It's deceitful, okay? So uh, she's his wife, right? Like uh, Sarah is Abraham's wife. We know that. That scripture teaches us. We see that. Um, but, okay, context is key. Help you understand. Context is very key. Culturally back then, which is not now today, but culturally back then, the king of the country had first right of refusal on all things in his kingdom, including the women. He could take any woman that he saw fit to be a part of his family, right? To be a part of his harem, if you wanted to say that. That was very common. And you read that throughout Old Testament scripture. You see that here. You also see that with Pharaoh later in scripture. You see that. Now, it would be really creepy in these days if the mayor of Shelby County, Mr. Lee Harris, walked in here, right, and looked at every all the people in the room and said, I want you, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, you come with me. That would be really weird, wouldn't it? Right? But that was very common back in those days. And so for Abraham, right, to lie because out of fear that his life would be cut off, because that, what could happen? The king could say, I want your wife, kill him. That would be weird, right? That's kind of scary. You ain't killing my wife. So Abraham lies. He deceives. And he does not trust God to protect, which he heard the promise we talked about last week, to protect him and Sarah and all of his family. Now, here's what's ironic to this, is that this is the second time that Abraham has done the same thing. This account in Genesis 20 is the second time that Abraham has lied about his wife to the king. Earlier, he lies to Pharaoh. Same thing happened. And so here is number two. So that's my first bullet point of outlining the scripture. Next one is God spoke to Abimelech in a dream. That's wild, pretty cool that God spoke to a pagan king. Abimelech is not a believer, does not know who Yahweh is, but God speaks to him. And it's really wild, the dream that he has, because God specifically says, you're a dead man because you have allowed Sarah to be in your, your harem, into your family. You brought, him, you brought her in. And so it's on you, dude. And he goes, no, 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 no. In my integrity, he lied to me. I didn't know. I know now, but I didn't know then. That's basically what Abimelech says. And so he has this dream, has this conversation with God. And after the dream, the very next morning, Abimelech calls in Abraham. Now, here's the thing. So cool. God tells, it that, tells Abimelech that it's Sarah. That's the one. Abimelech immediately goes to find the brother. He remembers who that is. Calls Abraham in and confronts him. Now, this is a non-Christian guy confronting the father of all nations. 
who God has made this huge promise to. We have this high lofty idea that Abraham is practically perfect in every way. Does anybody believe that or think that about Abraham? You would think you would because of what happened last week. But here's the reality is that Abraham is just an ordinary guy like me and you. And in this moment, a non-believer calls him out. A non-Christian calls him out and says, you have sinned. How would you like to be called out by a non-Christian? For your faith. Hmm. And the room goes quiet. All right, um, so that's point number three. Number four, Abraham tells Abimelech the truth. He finally confesses. We see that in verses 11 through 13. He finally just says, hey, I, I, I was sparing my life. I was so scared. I, I, I mean, I, she's, she really is kind of my sister. She's, kind of, you know, the family tree's there to prove it. But, um, and so Abimelech just simply uh, confronts him. Abraham confesses to it. Next bullet point, Abimelech restores Sarah and grants Abram land to settle, which there's something that happens in this passage of scripture. Time is relative in between, whether this is an immediate moment or if it happened days later. But something happened in Abraham's life, and I think he had a God moment. Something happened to where God restored him, and then God used him as a prophet to pray over the one that just accused him of a sin. That's trippy, but that's what Scripture says. And then the last thing we see in this passage in verse 17 and 18 is that Abraham prays to Abimelech for healing, and the wombs open up. Now, as I sit with this story, one, it's weird. It doesn't logically make sense, does it? Right? Why would God use a pagan king to speak to the father of many nations? That's one thing to wrestle with. Another thing is to wrestle with is that because, well, one, God spoke to a pagan king, period. Some of you are wrestling with that as well. You might even be wrestling with the fact that all the wombs of the ladies in his harem were barren because of Sarah. Some of you may be trying to track it out. Like, wait a minute, how long did it take for him to realize that because of Sarah, uh, the ladies were not having children? Probably nine months, all right? Just to help you out. Thinking. It probably took him nine months to figure it out that something was wrong with what was going on. Now, granted, he had a dream from God that helped kind of put the pieces together. But here you go. Some of you are trying to track with that. And then the last thing to wrestle with is even after he got it wrong, God used him anyway to heal the land. So there was a blessing of God on the other side of his sin, on the other side of this account. Now, I want to wade into the waters with you, okay? I want to wade into the reality. I have three points and three applications, and I'm done, okay? You ready for this? Here's number one. What we can learn from this story, number one, believers sin. It's funny to think. Who was more godly in this moment? Abraham? Or Abimelech. The attitude that Abimelech had, right, seemed way more godly than the lying and the deceptiveness of Abraham. That's weird. Whoa, are you kidding me? But that's the reality. And we, we learn here one, Abraham's not perfect. 
And praise God. That, that gives me a lot of encouragement, right? That even in my sin, as a believer in Christ, I stumble in sin. Not, there's not going to be an amen in the room. I get it. Because nobody who is a believer in, in the room wants to admit that they sin because you're not supposed to do that. And you're carrying the weight of expectation of perfection in your reality, in your life, that it paralyzes you from growing in your relationship with the Lord. The sin that you are carrying right now as a believer, as a believer, the sin that you are carrying, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. You're indulging in sin right now as a believer in Christ, and you are ignoring the promise that he has given to us. That if we confess our sins and believe, he will forgive us of that sin. 1 John 1, 9. You're rejecting the promise of God, holding on to the sin in your life. And Abraham did the same thing. Abraham would much rather lie and deceive than to embrace the truth and believe that God would hold him, carry him through. Because that was the promise of God from the very beginning, of right? From this whole journey that Abraham would have. I'm going to bless you and bless those that bless you and I'm gonna curse those who curse you. I will give you, make your name great. I will give you the land that you have. I'm gonna bless you in all these different ways. But Abraham didn't quite believe it in this moment. And the sin of mistrust of God and his promise has created this little scenario here. And the reality is, you and I, as believers, we sin sometimes. Right? We sin sometimes. We tell a lie. We deceive. Sometimes just like Abraham does. We may not tell our parents the whole truth. Maybe just a little bit. Just so I don't get grounded. Or don't lose my phone privileges. Maybe I, I'll, I'll lie a little bit to keep a friendship. I'll hold back some things because I don't want to lose that friend or that boyfriend or girlfriend. I'll deceive a little bit. I'll weave a little, you know, web of deceit. And even in that, we don't believe that if we walk and live in the truth, as God says that we need to live in the truth, that the truth will set us free. And so many times we do the same things, guys. Oh gosh, we do the same thing. And I, I'm praying, even as I studied for this lesson, over a week ago, I studied for this lesson. And I, I came to this point and I went, oh gosh, I went straight to my knees and said, God, I'm just like Abraham. I'm not perfect. I don't get it. I'm not the greatest in the world when it comes to this. This faith thing, I don't get it right. You know what? And we learned a great lesson from Abraham and I hope we all listen to this. And I'm speaking to the believers in the room. Point number two, believers sin. Point number two is this. When believers sin, they suffer. Yep. Guys, there are consequences to your sin. As a believer, there are consequences for your sin. But wait, Steve, I, it, I, I, I'm covered by grace, right? Yeah, you're covered by grace and salvation. But the consequences of your sin, you still have to deal with. You can't go around and murder someone and not have consequences. Oh, wait, I'm a believer in Christ. Washed by the blood. I don't have to go to jail. 
because I murdered somebody. There are consequences to that action, right? This means yes. For all y'all that know law, right? (laughs) Governmental law, like if you commit murder, there's jail time, right? There's going to be a trial, all the things. You can't get away from that consequence of sin. Murders are sin? Yes, murders are sin. That's, you know, the Ten Commandments, right? You know, thou shalt not kill, right? That's one of, oh gosh, am I, hello, are you tracking with me? Um, But here's the thing, there are consequences to our sin and we will suffer because of it. Here's the thing, Abraham suffered too. Let me just point out a couple of things to you. One, uh, it cost Abraham's sin, Abraham's sin cost him his character. His integrity was called into question. Abraham's a liar. Whoa, wait a minute. He lies. His character was called into question. Abraham lost his testimony. And here's the reality. A lost dude called him out for his sin. How weird, like way out is that? The non-believer knew what was right and called the believer out for his wrong. Oh, Oh, he lost his testimony. Abraham lost his ministry. His lie brought about judgment on the land. Think about that. His lie of Sarah being a sister brought into the harem of the king that cursed the entire, his whole family. All the ladies were barren because we all know that Sarah was barren, right? And so that curse went on that whole harem of all the ladies in his family. And it cost him his ministry. And there was a judgment that was passed on that land. And then the last thing, Abraham almost lost Sarah and Isaac. Because here's the reality. If God had not intervened in the dream and Abimelech found out, he had every, well, in those days, every right to kill both of them. And we almost lost all of it. And so we see here that he suffered because of the sin that he committed. Y'all, this is so true of us. You cannot escape the consequences of your sin. I would just be brutally honest. I'm typically honest with y'all. If you're indulging in the sin of pornography, there are consequences to that that jeopardize your marriage. And that's for guys and girls. If you practice the little white lies, it has consequences. And you will suffer because of it. The people around you will not trust you if you do not live in the truth. Y'all, that's just, this is real. And the thing, if one of your friends lies to you, what do you do? I can't believe you lied to me. I don't trust you anymore. <laughs> Right? Unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. (laughs) Just being real. Y'all, y'all, you can't tell me that your sin doesn't have consequences. And guys, suffering is coming to you if you continually indulge in the sin that you're dabbling in. We see it in Abraham's life. And it's not just Abraham's life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we can go to King David. Oh, let's talk about that. 
Bathsheba, that whole thing. He committed murder. Oh, gosh, consequences and suffering that happened because of that. Point number three. And you're like, Steve, quit giving me bad news. I have good news for you. You ready? Good news. Sinning believers can be forgiven and restored. At that point, you ought to say, hallelujah. There's a way out. Steve, you gave me the bad news, but now I got the good news. I can be forgiven and I can be restored. And that's true. But I wanna make it very clear. Yes, you can be restored and forgiven by God, but you still may have to deal with the consequences of your sin. It's not a get out of consequence kind of free card. But what you do know is that you are at peace with God. That you know him, he knows you. You have sought forgiveness and restoration in the eyes of God and that you're seeking to be forgiven and restored in the people around you. Y'all, that's peace. Yes, you may have to deal with the consequences of your sin, yes. But man, when you live at peace with God, oh, so good, so good. And I think that's where every one of us want to be. Every one of us want to be at peace with God. You know, for Abraham to even come to the place of praying for Abimelech and for Abimelech to even come to the place of even forgiving Abraham for what he did to his country, there had to be a restoration moment there. There had to be a restoration moment between Abraham and God, but also between Abimelech and Abraham. Something had to happen there in order for them to be together and for, in order for them to uh, get it right. That's the three application points. You ready for the three? Or that was the, uh, the teaching points. You ready for the application? Three things. Y'all, this, God gave this to me yesterday. And I'm in my office and I'm like, this is awesome, right? Everybody outside the office, I walked out of the office and I was like, I got a word from the Lord. And it was only Reese. Reese was the only one out there. I was like, I gotta, I gotta say something about this. Y'all, if you're ever experiencing the fiery darts of sin in your life, it's a simple three-step process. Stop, drop, and roll. Do you get it? Do you get it? Right? Let me, let me teach you what that means, okay? Some of you are experiencing the fiery darts of sin. You are indulging in the fire, right? Many of us are. So how, Steve, what do I do to get out of this fiery furnace of sin that I'm in? You stop, drop, and roll. You stop. Here it is. You have to stop indulging in the sin. I'm not gonna make it so trivial as to say, you gotta stop it. But I will say, repentance is a very biblical thing for those that want to stop indulging in the sin. Guys, you have to come to the place and understanding that one, there are consequences for the sin that you're indulging in, right? You also have to come to the place that you don't like it to be a part of your life. And there has to be a rejection at some point in your heart, in your mind, in your hands. You have to get to the place where you say, stop. I don't want this anymore. At some point, you gotta get sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? 
And at some point, maybe tonight's the night where some of you get flat on your face before the Lord and you repent. And you repent like you've never repented ever before in your life. Because you realize that the sin that you've indulging in is separating you from other people and ultimately from the Lord. And so you have to stop. The next step is after you repent, you got to drop. What does that mean? Humble yourself before the Lord. Here's the thing. As you draw near to him, he draws near to you. As you humble yourself and reject the pride, because I I bet you the root of your sin is sounding simple like this. It might be like, I can handle it. I got this. It's under control. You know, I can dabble in the sin. It's okay. I can browse this browser anytime I want. It's okay. It's harmless. Pride, 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 pride. Every bit of that is pride. But a man or a woman who would humble themselves before the Lord and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I admit that I have broken your laws. And I believe wholeheartedly, yes, Lord, I believe that you can restore me and I believe that you can forgive me. And you can only say that prayer when you're on your knees in humility. You gotta drop. You gotta humble yourself, guys. The sin of pride, God hates. And you can't pridefully lay your sin down. (laughs) That was tweetable. You have to humble yourself. And the last thing is to roll. Well, what does that mean? Roll up, right? Roll out, understanding and under believing that the abundant life of John 10, 10 is yours to believe and to claim. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Y'all, roll out of that realization that you are forgiven and restored and that I can live my life with a confidence of knowing, one, that I'm good with God and I'm gonna seek to be good with others. I'm going to roll out believing that I have dealt with that sin and that sin is gone and I am far behind me. Stop, drop, and roll.